0: We're all settling into our first day of session. I think we've got off to a (coughs) good start. To give this first talk a title, it's called A Peck on the Cheek. And it's a broadened version of a little talk I gave recently um, on a Tuesday night in Sydney. But it's based on an experience I actually had recently. And near where I live, There's um, a bushland corridor, a forest um, and a creek going through it and a a walking track that takes you down to um, Sydney Harbour. And I walk on it nearly every day with my dog when I take my dog for a walk. And one day I was walking in this particular spot and uh, I, I paused just for a little while and then there was this sudden whoosh sound. I went past my ear, it was my deaf ear but I still heard it somehow it went tchoo, like that, and a brush of wings, and then I forgot about it, and then a week later I was going past the same spot, and I stopped in the same spot again for a bit longer for my dog to catch up and this time there was a whoosh and then a sudden painful jab on the cheek like that, boom, and I put my hand up and there was blood there and what had happened was, um uh, a little butcher bird had swooped past, it's been springtime, you know, probably protecting their their eggs, and swooped past and pecked me and then it landed in a branch nearby and started squawking at me, you know, like, oh, I don't know. it was kind of bird language for bugger off Virginia, you're in my territory, and um, so that was the experience, and, um, and in, I wasn't upset by the experience at all. Um, and I wasn't distressed or traumatised or anything like that. <coughs> when I reflected on it, um, I actually felt privileged that it happened to me. And uh, I was almost grateful that it had happened to me, that you kind of, you, you, you're connecting with nature, you're alive. you know, there's nature there in tooth and claw and beak, you know, and you're walking through it and you're actually being become, it's an intimate moment with life for that to occur. And so I was very grateful for it. And um, I went home to Diana, my wife, and I said, guess what happened? I was walking through the forest and I got pecked on the cheek by a (laughs) passerby. She gave me a suspicious look. (laughs) (laughs) And then I turned the other cheek and showed her the blood coming down, do you know? And um, told her what had happened. And, And being a nurse, she gave me a bit of first aid and marital harmony was restored very quickly. And that's what occurred. That's what the peck on the cheek was. Um, I, I'm not going to say that uh, the monk was walking through the forest and was pecked on the cheek by a butcher bird and became <coughs> completely enlightened that moment from there on in. It wasn't like that at all. But um, those kind of experiences uh, you open to. You know, the, you, you open to the unexpected if you if you do sin practice, that's what it does. It kind of just makes the potential there for whatever happens, painful, pleasant or otherwise, um, that you, you start to grow into that Longjin long saying, the Tibetan saying, be grateful for everything that happens. Mm-hmm. As you practice more, that actually becomes more and more the reality of your life. Become grateful for everything that happens. And it might be pleasant, um, might be unpleasant, might be painful, might be just everyday life, neutral. But that's what grows, that sense of being grateful for everything that happens. And um, it's those kind of um, unexpected experiences which are the folklore of Buddhism and of sin. You know, the, the Buddha just sitting under the tree, not expecting anything, just doing his practice, looks up one morning, sees the morning star, and he's awakened by that. Sort of the, the ego drivenness is kind of broken up, dissolved in that moment. And then in the Zen tradition, we have the story of Basho, just sitting by the pond, not aiming to be enlightened or anything, just sitting by the pond. Being awake, frog drum singing, plop, awakening. Mm-hmm. A sense of deep connectedness and intimacy with life comes with that moment. Or well, another story of um, <coughs> the uh, Chinese teacher, Kyogen, um, becomes kind of disillusioned with his practice, leaves the monastery, goes away and is in his own little little hut for a few years, but he hasn't actually given up. Uh, he hasn't actually gone away and, you know, just sort of left a life of getting drunk or whatever. He's still... He, he's, he's, he's not getting anywhere, but he's just sort of staying open to the experience. One day he's sweeping the yard in the garden and the broom accidentally flicks a stone onto the bamboo and goes clock, tock like that that became an intimate moment of awakening. And that's the nature of all Zen practice, is that um, it may not necessarily be dramatic, it may be gradual, but we, we waken up into the life of just this. Mm-hmm. And we wake up out of that over-conceptualized, habitualized way, mechanical way that we kind of operate in life so much. So that is the nature of our practice and a session, the word session actually means to touch the heart-mind and you could expand that to, to, in a way to say, to touch everything. Mm-hmm. Touch everything, to touch life just as it is and to be intimate with life just as it is in all its pain and pleasure and neutrality, everything. We often say that that Zen practice or mindfulness practice is about becoming present. But there's another word which needs adding on to it to really give it a a, a, a richer or fuller kind of understanding. And that Zen practice is about becoming present to everything. Everything. Nothing's left out. And you add that everything word onto it it and it makes it a richer kind of understanding of what the um, practice of being present is. Now, that being the nature of Zen practice, it's important then to look at what are the barriers to being open. Um, What are the barriers to to being awake? And um, as Buddhist texts constantly remind us and as I constantly remind you, and remind myself is at the centre of all of this that keeps all of our um, dissatisfaction going uh, It's the kind of the engine room of greed, hatred and ignorance which I use other words, to, more contemporary words to explain or describe as grasping aversion and apathy. That's kind of like the engine room of our suffering it goes round and round and round and round and that's what the ego is. There, there isn't a thing called an ego. Right? It's just a word. But what it describes is this, this synergy of greed, ignorance and, and, uh, and hatred. You know, grasping aversion, apathy, going round and round and round, spinning. Mm-hmm. And keeping us, instead of connected to just this and open to what's right here now, it keeps us spinning into the past, into the future, anywhere but here. Mm. Anywhere but intimacy right here. Mm. And as you may well know, that grasping and aversion and apathy is at the hub, the centre of the Tibetan Wheel of Life and Death. And then there is the, um, the six worlds that we go through. Let me take you back to those wonderful words in Hakuin Zenji's Song of Zazen. How sad that people ignore the near and search for truth afar. Like someone in the midst of water crying out in thirst. Like a child of a wealthy home wandering among the poor. Lost on dark paths of ignorance, we wander through the six worlds. From dark path to dark path, when shall we be freed from birth and death? so at the center is grasping aversion apathy, and it spins us through the six worlds, which really the the barriers to being with life just it is as it is and let me remind you briefly what they are. Um, there's the heaven realm, which is kind of like the realm of idle entitlement. You know, everything will be nice all the time. Um, there is the realm of the fighting demons, which are that realm where we're creating opposition all the time and fighting to win and not to lose and driven by resentment, etc., and plotting and scheming and gaming. There's that kind of political realm. Um, There's the the realm of the poor old hungry ghosts that we all go through, that sense of never being satisfied, you know, and that that happiness is going to be somewhere else and chasing dreams and fantasies and constantly being disappointed and then looking for it elsewhere, anywhere but here, but searching constantly. Mm -hmm. Um, There's the animal realm, um, which in this sense means the realm of being kind of um, slothful, timid, um, wanting, being habitual, you know, um, uh, just wanting things to stay the same in a kind of apathetic kind of way. I don't think all animals really like that, but that's what it means in this context anyway. Then there's the hell realm. Now that needs a bit of clarity because there are very um, painful things that can happen to human beings. <coughs> in our life, particularly inflicted by other human beings, um, trauma and so on like that. So sometimes in actual environments are hell realms, but that's not what this is actually referring to. This is kind of referring to the hell realm that we create in our own mind. So all of the catastrophizing and fantasizing about things that are not actually happening, where we're driven by fear and terror and so on. It's that mind-created hell realm not necessarily the actual um, uh, distressing experiences that some people may be severely um, exposed to, like war and trauma. And then, of course, there's the good old human realm Mm -hmm. Um, that we're in a lot of the time.